Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. And today, I'm going to offer you a part two of hard lessons from the life of Jacob, hard lessons from the life of Jacob. And uh, actually, it's coming out of the end of sermon I gave on Genesis chapter 28. Now, Jacob's life is an incredible model for us, especially in leadership, uh, because we see him as grabbing, striving, manipulating, not living in a place of rest with God as he leads, but very much fearful and thus striving. And so uh, we begin by seeing him uh, manipulating his older brother Esau out of his birthright. And uh, he's fearful. Things are stacked against him. He's not receiving uh, as much as his older brother. He's not able to trust the simple promises of God. So he's constantly taking destiny in his own hands. And so he exploits Esau, his older brother's needs, takes advantage of him in a very narcissistic way. And and uh, in chapter 25, he, he steals his blessing. And then, then, then uh, I'm sorry, he steals his birthright. And then a couple of chapters later, uh, he basically manipulates and lies and steals his blessing as well from his father, Isaac. And so at this point, we're going to pick up the story in chapter 28, where uh, Esau, his older brother, is bitter, has murder in his heart, and is on his way to kill he wants to chase after Jacob and kill him. Jacob is fearful, and now he is running. He is fleeing from his life, uh, from his brother Esau. He's, he's racked with guilt. He's racked with fear. He's living on false pretenses. I mean, uh, his life as a leader is filled with tension, uh, distress, difficulty, pressure, walls. Sounds like a lot of us. And that is the nature of leadership. But as we're going to see in this message here, God gets him to stop uh, and God meets him in an extraordinary way. And the great news, friends, is we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and God meets us as well uh, in the mess and pain and struggle and often conflicts involved in leadership. So enjoy uh, this uh, just timely word from God out of Genesis chapter 28. And I pray it blesses you uh, in your leadership for Jesus. This rushing, manipulating Jacob, he comes from a family that's got a lot of problems. It's like some of our families here. And he's got a father who favors his older brother. He's got an overbearing mom. Uh, uh, Esau is out of control, his older brother. Uh, he eventually, eventually marries. He has wives he can't please and a manipulative father-in-law. He's just got children eventually who hate each other. I mean, he's just got a lot of problems. But yet God's calls on his life. God's hands on him. From his birth, God's hands on him. And uh, the Lord says, you're chosen and you're, 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 you're destined. And your destiny is to be a, a great blessing to nations, to, to the world. And I've got a mission for you, just like I had for Abraham and your father Isaac. And, and God declares his pleasure and his love over Jacob, even as a, a baby in the womb of his mom. And uh, yet his name means cheater. His name means grabber. He's a liar. His name means deceiver, liar. And, and so he, he's he, unable to just rest and flow with what God has for him. He's constantly grabbing at life. And we talked about that the last two weeks. And, and really, he is manipulative and he's aggressive He's restless. He's always trying to make things happen and uh, just cannot just let go, relax, and wait on God's timing and, and God's way. And so if you remember this little chart here, this is his father, it's Abraham and Sarah, his grandparents, it's Isaac and Rebekah, his mom and dad, and here's Esau and Jacob. They're twins. 
and Jacob's our character that we're studying. And, and we talked about in week one how he was, he was promised that he would get the, the great father's blessing and that nations would serve him, but yet he couldn't wait on that and trust it. And so in chapter 25, he thinks the odds are stacked up against him ever getting blessed and uh, feeling like he was born on the wrong side of the tracks or born second, and so he just cheats his brother Esau out of that blessing. Uh, he, he kinda, he's, very, he's very heartless. He's very narcissistic, and, and he makes, he, he, to give his brother some food, he, he, he makes him sell his birthright of being the firstborn, his great blessing. And then last week, we saw him lying and dressing up like he's Esau as his father thinks he's dying. And again, rather than wait and trust God, he strives, he manipulates, he spins, and uh, he takes things in his own hands, and um, he, he steals the blessing from his brother uh, Esau. And uh, Esau now, as we pick up the story, his, his older brother, now he's probably, we don't know, Jacob's in his 40s, 50 years old. His brother now has been ripped off by Jacob, and uh, he determines he's going to kill him. That Esau, uh, when his father Isaac dies, he will. It's a good. It's a good mafia story in The Godfather. You know, <laughs> he is going to kill Jacob when his father dies. And so now we pick up in chapter 28. Uh, Jacob, from manipulating, lying, cheating, striving, uh, his family has now blown up. And because, as we talked about last week, uh, seek the truth, or the truth will seek you. And the consequences of his decisions are now later now bearing fruit. And of his mom's decisions for all of us parents here, as parents are making bad decisions to make sure their kids get the right thing in life. And so now the family blows up and Jacob has to run for his life. And now he's making a journey to a place called Haran. It's, it's a 550 miles away from where he's living in his home. And so it's going to take uh, over a month to get there. And now he's two to three days in the journey as we're going to pick it up. And uh, he's going to go down, he's going to, take a, he's going to sleep. But uh, I want, want you to catch this. He, as he's running, as we pick it up in verse 10, uh, he's running for his life. He, he undoubtedly has got to have some guilt at what he has done. Um, he's fearful. He's alone. He's single. Even his getting permission to go away from home was again built on a lie. The mother lies to Isaac about why he's even leaving, so the father doesn't even know what's going on. And all this self-will and fear is driving um, Jacob's life. He is truly, as we call, a scoundrel. He is a rascal. Uh, he is a crook. And uh, so we're going to pick it up here at verse 10. All right. Because there's an invitation from God for us in this passage, this amazing passage. Verse 10 of chapter 20 of Genesis. Jacob left Beersheba and he set out for Haran. Again, that's 550 miles away. It's going to take well over a month through desert. When he reached a certain place, underline that word, a certain place. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth or a ramp or a ladder. And with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done 
what I have promised you. Eight, there's eight different little promises in that big promise. Verse 18, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was unaware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Amen. Now, there's two invitations here in this passage. There's actually more, but for time, there's two. For I believe for us today, I mean, I, as I told Jerry the other day, I'm so, I'm so excited about this message. I just couldn't wait to give it because it's such a word. And I don't know if there are human words to even communicate point one. And really, well, point two as well, but especially point one, which I, I don't know what to call it, but just ponder the mercy of God. We just, this passage is meant to kind of awe-strike awe us, to be like, whoa, and kind of knock you off a bit and ponder the sheer mercy of God. Because Jacob is a louse. Uh, Jacob is a bum. Jacob deserves nothing. Jacob deserves to die in that desert for what he has done to his family, to himself, to his older brother, to his walk with God. He has trampled on God's grace and mercy and love, and he is now on a journey. He's now left home. He's lost it. He thinks it's going to be for a few days, like his mom said. Oh, you'll just, this'll, 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 you know, you think you, you do something really bad, you know, and you really screw up, and you think, oh, I'll just spin it, right? And a couple of days, it'll all be gone, and that's what Jacob's on. He, he's, he's, he's assuming truth is not going to come after him. He has no idea. He is headed from a place where his brother wants to kill him at home to his uncle Laban's house, and we'll get to next week, who is more of a crook than he is. And he's not going to be there for a few days. He's going to be there 20 years away from home. So he has no idea. He's going from a death camp to a labor camp. And... Um, <laughs> So God is going to get him because God is going to transform Jacob. And we've talked about that. God's going to transform you whether you like it or not. He's, going to, he's coming after you. And uh, so here he is. He's traveled a couple of days, he, he, and, he, and he comes to a certain place. It's nowhere. You know, and he lies down. He's got a, a stone for his pillow. And in verse 12, he, 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 God comes. God shows up. Now, Jacob is not like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son story in Luke 15? The prodigal son realizes he's been, he, he's, he, he, he destroyed the father's reputation. He's been a real you know, horrific younger son. He's squandered the father's possessions. He's rebelled against the father. And he turns around and, and, and to come home. And when the father, in that great parable of the uh, prodigal son, sees the younger son way off, the, it says the Bible says he runs to him and grabs him and kisses him. And it's a great image of who our Abba father is, what he's like. But this is even more heavy because Jacob isn't repenting. He's not turning around in repentance and coming after the father. But nonetheless, God comes after him. That's why I have to ponder the, the sheer mercy of God in the text that, that here is Jacob running for his life and God comes after him and, 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 and he, gets, he sees a vision. And he, he has a dream and he sees a stairway and, or it's kind of like it's a ramp uh, or a, I don't know, it's kind of hard to translate it, but kind of a ramp, a, a ladder, a stairway from heaven to earth. And he sees angels descending up and down on this stairway. And, uh, and on top of it stands the Lord. And God speaks to him. Now understand, he's not listened to God in any place that we know of in his life up to this point. In fact, he tells God what he's going to do. And yet here God stands and he speaks to Jacob. And he gives this promise, I am the Lord, you know, the God and Father of Abraham and Isaac. This promise is just so, it's unconditional. 
uh, because he says, you, you, here's J- Joseph, I mean, Jacob is single, not married. He says, you're going to have a large family in all directions. Uh, you're going to be a blessing to nations. I mean, you have been nothing but a pain in the neck up to now. You have blessed nobody. In fact, you have destroyed your brother's life, uh, and your family has just blown up, and you're partly responsible for that. Uh, but you're going to be a blessing to all nations, uh, and God says, I'm going to sustain your faith. The God doesn't even have any faith yet. And I'm going to protect you. There's going to be this protection over you wherever you go. And, and I'm going to bring you eventually back home that you're leaving. And uh, most of all, I'm going to be with you. I will be with you. I mean, it's, and, and no conditions, just pure mercy on Jacob and, and grace. And, and again, the point of this ladder is that, that heaven has come to earth. God comes to Jacob. Heaven comes to earth and visits him in this ramp or staircase. And understand, in the ancient Near East, all the pagan religions were building kind of like in the Tower of Babel. They would build pagan temples to reach up to God. And, and this is the act's opposite. God builds the staircase or, or the ramp down from heaven to earth. It's a direct opposite. The sheer mercy of God, Jacob's not going to try to reach it. God reaches him. And uh, you see, God is seeking after Jacob. Jacob is not seeking God. Jacob does not find God. God finds Jacob. God builds the ladder. You see, God's seeking you. You may be here today, and as someone shared with me coming in today, I came for a long time before God touched me. I came because of my family. And um, he says, but God got me. And God is seeking you today, and God is seeking me. And your sins cannot separate you from the loving presence of God and that love and heart God has for you. And God reaches out to you no matter how bad you have acted, how shameful, disgraced, the guilt, the shame, the horror, the self-hate you may carry. You may be devastated sitting here this morning. Do you understand? God's coming after you, and he loves you. The great thrust of this passage, the great distinctive of the love of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob versus all other world religions is that there are no strings attached. God simply loves human beings whom he has made in his image enough to come to earth and die for you and, and for me on the cross. And God simply loves humans. And he created us for this love relationship with himself. And there's nothing we can do that's going to change that. And he takes all the initiative in Christ to come after you and to come after me. And God always begins right where we are. And just like he takes Jacob right in the mess that he is in, and God takes him, begins with him, and uses him. And says, I'm, you're going to be a blessing. And God says to Jacob, you have a future. You know what God says to you? You have a future. You have a future. And your future is to be a blessing. And I've created you and put you here for a purpose. And I've built a ladder from heaven to come down and get you. So you can get to me. And uh, even when you're asleep, God is working. Are you aware of that? There's a great verse in Psalm 121. It says, he who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleep. Meditate on that one for a while. Do you realize God doesn't sleep? And so when you were sleeping, God was watching. And when you woke up, God says, oh, Russ, you're up. You know, I've been, wo- I've, been wor- I've been working all night. I've been watching all night. I'm glad you're up. Now come participate in what I'm doing. But that- that's how much God's watching over you all through the night. And, um, you know, there's a great, the famous, there's a famous picture in church history. I don't know if you can, can you see that at all? It's not that good, huh? I don't know if you can see this. It's a famous picture, and it comes from the six, uh, 500s, early 600s, by a guy named John Climacos, and it's called The Ladder of Divine Descent, Ascent, and it's actually the opposite of our, our, our passage, and, and what you have, you have Jesus on the top, and you've got these 
people or believers are supposedly trying to climb up to reach him. And Jesus has in this verse in Greek, it says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And, but to get there, you've got to climb 30 rungs. And you can't see, oh, these are demons trying to pull you off. And they pull you off into the dragon down here into hell, Revelation chapter 12. And so there's these 30 things of conquering, you know, you begin with fasting and, you know, pride and you begin, and all these virtues just we are to do to get to Jesus, to say, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. But really, that's not the biblical picture, um, you know, to get salvation. No, the point is, Jesus comes here and he's right here in rung number one. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And the point is, he's here. And we don't climb to him, he's climbed to us. That's the heart of Christianity. He's come after you. And uh, yes, there are, it's quite, it's quite a, it's very famous, I, I gotta calm down to not say more about it, but it's fascinating with all, the, all that's going on there. But I tell you one thing, it feels true sometimes, doesn't it? Like demons of hell are trying to pull you off, you know? There's probably something you can do with about, about growing in Christ, but anyway, you get the point. And um, as we ponder the mercy of God, and so, this ladder has 30 rungs, and uh, each has a spiritual quality that has to be attained before you can go to the next step. Um, but the good news of the gospel is Jesus has come to meet us and to meet you and to meet me right where I am today. He meets me for salvation. He meets me every day right where I am. And Jesus quotes this passage of Jacob in John chapter 1 that he basically saying is, you know, Nathan, Nathaniel, you've, you've not seen nothing yet. Uh, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God descending and ascending on the Son of Man. Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm the ladder. You know, I'm the bridge. I'm it. And so you need this bridge and these angels. This is Jesus bridging, coming to earth for us. Uh, wow, it's really, it's, it's, it's ponder the sheer mercy of God because you don't deserve it, neither do I. And we've rebelled. We've gone our own way. We've got our own plans. We do our own striving. We do our own lying and spinning and manipulating and often using God's name. And here, God, he comes after us, and he builds the ramp down to us to come after you and seek you. And I, I don't know what to say about this at first point except just pause and ponder the sheer mercy of God for Jacob because we are all Jacob, all of us. And that's why the Bible speaks of the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Israel, his name was changed to Israel because all of us are Jacobs. And our God has sheer mercy for Jacobs, and he takes us, and he loves us. Oh, all right. Wow. Just ponder that one. It's just so rich. <clears throat> all right. But there's one other, the second point is, is I'd like to <clears throat> expound on a bit. I, I feel like I, I, the first point I think we can just have a retreat on, just to ponder his mercy. But the second really comes from a phrase that uh, they used to teach children across the street, or they used to teach them to use across the street. Stop, look, and listen. They still do that, teachers? They still use that? All right, some of you are saying yes, some no. My 12-year-old said, no, I'm out of touch. But uh, <laughs> I remember stop, stop, look, and listen. And uh, she was giving me stop, drop, and roll. But that was the, fi <laughs> that was the fire department, I'm told. Not the crossing guard. So... But stop, drop, and roll didn't work at all. But stop, look, and listen works, all right? And uh, because God is standing. And it's interesting, God's standing there at that ladder. Now, you'll notice in verse 11, jo Jacob comes to a certain place. It's a very important phrase. The point is, it's a no place. I mean, he just comes to a certain place. It's just, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a nameless, there's no name for the place. It's just an ordinary, no-name place. And yet God meets him there. It's very important. And 
And he says in verse 16, this is, this is a verse worth, you know, I, I hope some of you are like me. I, I write down verses and I meditate on my carrying with me. This is my verse the last, you know, two weeks. Verse 16, when Jacob awakes and he says, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. And you see, And he declares it later. He says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And uh, the extraordinary is found in the ordinary place. And it's not just a location of a place, but it's the the circumstance of the place. They're so ordinary of of all of our lives. And, you know, there's a a great quote, which you've heard. I've used it. Been years since I've used it, but um, Jerry and I—it's it's one of our—we'll our, quote it a lot to each other and to others. And it's from a Thomas Merton book, *New Seeds of Contemplation*, because it carries a truth that that we have been seeking to live for a very long time. And it goes like this: Thomas Merton wrote, "Every moment of every event of every person's life plants something in his soul. For just as the wind." carries thousands of seeds. So each moment brings with it germs of spiritual life. Most of these seeds are lost because we are not prepared to receive them. The love of God, however, seeks us in every situation and seeks our good. But it's that first line that I love so much where he writes, every moment of every person's life on, on each plant something in his soul. Every moment of every event of every person's life, there's seeds from God coming. And when Jacob says in verse 16, surely the Lord's in this place, I was not aware of it. He finally gets it in this ordinary place where in such a mess, God meets him. See, God comes to us all the time and he's speaking to us about ourselves. God's speaking to Jacob a lot about himself, about our world, about who God is, and about our situation. Earth is soaked with God. Earth is crammed, is a phrase a poet wrote, earth is crammed with heaven. God is here. He's not up there. He's here. He's filled the earth with his love, his presence, and his glory. He is in all these no-name places. And so, of course, we miss it because we, 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 just like many people in Jesus' day, here's Jesus preaching the crowds. They're right in front of Jesus. They're watching miracles, and they missed it. Do you realize they didn't say how awesome God is in this place? Most people in the days of Jesus heard him, liked his miracles, enjoyed the services, but they missed it. They didn't, they didn't say how awesome is this place. It's the gate of heaven. They just went and did their thing. And I, 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 I think for most of us, it's because we fail, just like they did in the days of Christ, we just fail to reflect when things are happening around us and pause and say, you know, how is God orchestrating all of this? How is God coming to me right now? Because we ha- we're too busy to actually reflect and stop and ask that question. Where are the seeds of God coming to me? You know, Future Shock, remember that great book in 1970 was a bestseller, sold millions of copy. he, he said, copies. He said that the future, which he was so right about, was going to be marked by shattering stress disorientation. He said the rate of change was going to be so rapid, it was going to so challenge our limits that people were going to burn out relationally as well as personally. And I think that phrase, shattering stress disorientation, is how most of us live. It's very difficult to see, to see God is in this place. 
in my life as things are just coming at such a rapid pace. And so we're busy, and some of us, we're just apathetic. I mean, we just aren't thinking about God speaking or God coming. We're just trying to get through the day. And, uh, or others of us, I know I'm one of them, I just hate the waiting process. I know God's doing something. I know I don't like it. And I'm trying to figure out what is he saying or doing, but as I'm waiting and taking steps to figure it out, it's not becoming clear, and I just get apathetic and say, you know what, I'm not waiting anymore. And I just, I'm not looking for God being in this place or my circumstances. I'm just saying, you know what, I'm just moving on. And, uh, or some of us, we don't want to know what God's saying because we prefer, as we talked about last week, it's easier to live in spin. It's easier to live in lies. And we don't want to know any more truth because reality can be very harsh. And so we're like, let me just figure out a way to spin this thing. When you do spin and lies and don't look at truth, God's not in this place anymore. I mean, you end up, you're just, you're creating your own reality, and you, you, God's there, but you can't hear him. It's not coming through. And I know for some of us, and I'm one of these people too, sometimes I, things are going difficult, with great difficulty, and I'm wallowing in some pain. And grieving is a healthy thing, and we talk a lot about that. But sometimes it's easier to stay in pain because I'm comfortable with it and I'm miserable, rather than let God birth something new and listen to him for what is the new thing that's going to come. We're easier and happier in the in-between pain, and we just stay there forever. And some of you know who you are as well. So, 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 but, okay, so how has God come? I mean, he, he's, he got, he's in a certain place, and, and surely the Lord's in this place, and I was not aware of it. So how is God coming and speaking to all of us? And I've got a little list here for you to ponder, all right? Obviously, Scripture. I mean, God comes through Scripture. I mean, boom. I mean, day and night, we ought to meditate on Scripture as God speaks. And uh, so that's a given. Uh, the reason we talk about a lot, I talk a lot about disciplines, spiritual disciplines, like daily offices of stopping and pausing two, three, four times a day, and stopping and pausing for Sabbath once a week is to help us stop and reflect and listen. That's the whole point. And uh, otherwise, if I don't stop and rest and delight and contemplate on Sabbaths once a week, it's very hard to hear him the rest of the week. And so God built in this rhythm knowing we need it to stop and pause to be with him so we're attentive the rest of the time. But God comes to us just like Jacob at the worst times. I mean, this is a terrible time for Jacob, and God comes. He never got the love of his father, Isaac. I mean, Isaac, his father, favored his older brother. I mean, that's really depressing. And he stole a blessing from his father, but his father's heart wasn't in it. But he got it. So think of the failure and disappointment of Jacob's life. I mean, what a failure at this point anyway. But God comes to him. God comes to some of us in this room. You're in the middle of failure. You're in the middle of a number of disappointments. And you know what? God's coming to you in that. If we stop, if we look, and if we listen, God's coming in that failure. God's coming in that disappointment. If you have multiple disappointments, boom after boom after boom, and instead of your anger and rage, and I'll kill somebody, maybe stop and say, and look and listen and say, wow, maybe God is in this place. And he's saying something or doing something or revealing something to me or about life or about himself. You may be on the verge today of a mental collapse. Or you may be very sick or misunderstood by some friends. You may have been abandoned by a spouse or your family or your children. You may have lost your job. In fact, you know what? You may be standing at the gate of heaven. Realize that? You may be at the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. 
and you're unaware of it. Think of divorce, think of betrayal, think of maybe some dreams you've had that have been shattered or some deep desires you've had longing for something and they're unfulfilled. Or maybe you've had an experience with a church that's left you so dissolution and scarred, you're just like, I don't think I'll ever get up again. But in all this pain, friends, clarity from God comes. This is, the Lord is in this place, as Jacob says, and I was not even aware of it. Sometimes we realize, eventually, I do over time, that the closed door was a gift. It was such a gift. But I often don't see it for a long time that God was in that place. God comes to us, do you know, in places like funerals and wakes, mental institutions, counseling sessions and therapy can be very holy work. God is in that place. Do you know God's in the bathroom? A lot. Do you know how many times people say to Jerry and I, you know, God spoke to me in the bathroom. You know, like, what is it about the bathroom? It's only a certain place, you know. It's just the place. Thank you for sharing. But I suspect it's because we're still, right? We're finally still. God can speak on that crowded subway. <laughs> you know, God can speak in subway cars that are very crowded, in traffic on the Brooklyn-Queens Expressway, or even the LIE. It doesn't matter. God comes to us through dreams. Do you know dreams? That's a whole, I mean, Laurel teaches a class on dreams, but sometimes we're not listening at all, and sometimes the unconscious bursts in dreams because we're shoving it down so much not listening. We're so unaware of God speaking to us. And so a dream comes, we're like, what does that mean? You know, it means a lot probably. You know, but God, God speaks in dreams, and uh, God speaks through non-Christians. I hope you know that. Lord, I mean, Pilate's wife was a pagan. She knew about the crucifixion of Jesus. I mean, the disciples are missing it. She sees it, that he's innocent. Um, you know, God speaks through a donkey in numbers. I mean, a donkey. I mean, sometimes, I mean, believers have such a narrow way of God's coming. God throws an, an animal. I mean, I, my cat died recently. My, my God came to me through my cat. Now, like, you know, animal lovers, we love people. But God speaks through other religions. He does. And he speaks through secular people who are atheists. And, uh, I mean, Jerry and I have learned, probably people have really taught us most about marriage and relationships. We're not followers of Jesus. But God was coming to us through them about certain aspects of the covenant and richness of marriage. It, it got, the truth was coming through them. Not, I think it all comes through believers, friends. It's such a narrow way of how God comes to us. God is coming in all kinds of circumstances and all kinds of places for all kinds of people, but he's coming all the time. He's built a ramp down to heaven. He's built a stairway down to you. And God is in this place. He's in your life all over the place, dropping seeds. And you're saying, you may pick up one seed a year, but there's a whole, there's a, what do you call those places? Silo full of seeds of God seeking to pour it into your soul to birth in you. You know, I love poems. Some of you are poetry lovers. God speaks through poems. Even some great literature and even in movies, you know. When I do self-care, God speaks to me. You know, self-care, when you take care of yourself and, 
and uh, it's going back to school or pampering yourself a bit with a meal or, or a nap, or you're experiencing the grace of the gospel of the love of God for you. I mean, some of us, we can't pamper ourselves and do healthy self-care because we don't get the gospel. And God's trying to get the gospel into us, but we're so difficult for us to do some healthy self-care. You know, God comes to me, I know, through safe, kind people. I mean, I'll tell you, now, I'd like to be one all the time, but I'll tell you, when, when we'll talk about this next week when, when J- Jacob and Esau try to resolve their tremendous conflict. It's, you know, it's interesting, but... When you're around a person who's safe and who is kind, when you don't deserve it, or you don't feel like you do, God is coming to you. I tell you, when I, when I get overextended and get crazy and I'm a little bit out of control, God, God comes to me very powerfully about not just my limits, about the fact that I'm a human and I'm not God. Every time, and he is God, and just his word comes, just, Pete, I love you, just rest. I mean, listen, if, if Jesus is sitting next to you right now in, that, in the chair, say Jesus comes and sits in the chair right next to you, and you look over to him and your eyes lock onto his eyes, what does he say to you? Right? What's he say? What's the word out of his mouth? Boom, to you. You know, when I, I know for seasons the same word's coming to me because he's trying to say the same thing to me. I'm just not getting it. It's a great exercise to do just along the way in your journey with Christ. What's he saying to me? Just, he's right next to you. All of a sudden, he's there. Oh, and it was the first words out of his mouth. You know, anger, depression, anxiety. Do you know God's coming in that? He's trying to say something to you. He's in this place. Well, where is he? He's here. Just ponder. He's here. You know, he comes through the counsel of wise people. And you know what's really scary? Sometimes he comes through unwise people. <laughs> you ever find that? Whoa, where did they get that from? He comes on vacations. You know, on your vacation this summer, I trust you're all taking a little vacation, a week, two weeks, three weeks, you know, and your vacation, build it like a sabbatical. The four qualities of a Sabbath is a longer sabbatical, your vacation. You're going to do the four things. You're going to stop your routine. You're going to rest. You're going to delight in life and people, and you're going to contemplate God. So you want to say, as I craft my vacation, those four qualities of a longer sabbatical rest, not a weekly, this is going to be a longer week, two, three, you build that into your, and you, and you, and you say, because you're looking for God. You're waiting on God. God's coming. God's in that Sabbath. God's in that vacation. You can come back more filled with God, not less. You know, <clears throat> Hotel rooms, you know, I go to a hotel, now occasionally travel, I'll go to a hotel room. One of the things I hate about hotel rooms is the TVs are right smack in the middle. You know, it's like, a, like an altar to the television. And um, so, I, you know, I often, not all the time, but often will carry a candle with me now. And, and I, I, I will, or a little, make a little altar, Bible and a picture of my family, something. And I'll just, and I'll light that candle and say, this is holy space. This, this hotel room is sacred space to God. And I basically, because God's in this place, and it helps me get attentive to stop, listen, and look versus, you know, it's just a crummy hotel room, you know. And uh, even wearing a crucifix, you know, wearing, uh, wearing a, 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 something that identifies you as a Christian. I, I've begun this anyway, but or a little, little, little cross, you know, a little cross. Um, something I'd like to give to all the members. We all have something we wear, or at least we carry in our rooms. But when I carry that, it reminds me of the fact of I am crucified with Christ. Pete, you are crucified with Christ. That's me. That's my identity. But it helps me stop, look, and listen, you know, all the time. 
But God comes in the in-between places. The very, very key phrase, Jacob is in between. He's, he's, he's leaving home, he's going somewhere new, he's, and he's in between. Some of you are in between in your life. You're in between your dreams, you're in between locations, you're passing through New York City for a short season, you're in between one relationship to another. In-between places are hugely important. God comes in in-between places. Kids leaving home, and between dreams and relationships and careers, these between times, and if you're away from your family, let me tell you something, that can be the greatest gift for you for God to get your attention. And Jacob needed to get away from his family so God could, he could hear God. So, and you're on a journey, and I want to encourage you, you're not a tourist. So, Jacob meets God on the run, and maybe you're here and you're on the run. You're running from God, and here God's coming to meet you. Or maybe you're running through life and your own plans. God's coming to meet you. Because we do live in a world that is soaked with God. So God's love letters, God's presence, God's voice is everywhere are these seeds. And friends, this invitation of this text from Jacob is that we would grow and train ourselves. It's a training to be attentive to God. It's really a training. Because I'm I'm attentive right now. We're in church. At Sabbath, can I be attentive Tuesday at 3 o'clock in the middle of all the activity and tomorrow morning? That's the great challenge. In the ordinary places, the hard places, the difficult places, and uh, God speaks. And just what's very interesting here, you read the rest of the passage, Jacob does two things in response. He, 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 um, he sets up a pillar to remember God was in this place. But secondly, he makes a vow, and it's a conditional vow. It says, God, if you do all these things, if you bless me, if you, if you give me food and clothing and it's kind of a, I'm going to start tithing, I'm going to start giving financially, and I'll make you my God, which is interesting because God just gave him this unconditional love. And now he goes, oh, God, if you come through, by the way, I'm going to serve you back. And he's such, but you see, what's interesting, he's just like us. You know, he, God comes into his life. He opens, in some ways, I say in some ways he comes to Christ to a certain level. He really enters into a relationship with God at this point. Um, he's really on the move. But it's still very self-centered. He's still manipulative. He's still, you know, he's still sneaky, as we'll see. Just like us, you know. We get started, God comes, we have this great experience, but we're still kind of like, oh, yeah, God, you know, you better come through. I'm not going to serve you anymore. You know? You're not going to get any of my money, you know, that kind of thing. And so let's do this as we close. Um, this is a verse. This, is a, this comes from Henry Nouwen's uh, book, The Return of the Prodigal. <clears throat> I'd like us to to do the, do the discipline, engage in the discipline of silence and solitude for three minutes and um, have some stillness of intentional inactivity together. And I'd like to introduce it with this quote from Henry Nouwen that reads as follows. I have to kneel before the Father, put my ear against his chest, and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. Then and only then can I say carefully and very gently what I hear. I know now that I have to speak from eternity into time, from lasting joy into the passing realities of our short existence in this world, from the house of love into the houses of fear, from God's abode into the dwellings of human beings, looking at people and this world through the eyes of God. It's the first line. I have to kneel before the Father. We're going to do that. Put my ear against his chest and listen without interruption to the heartbeat of God. All right, so here's the, you know, the ancient discipline of silence and solitude. You know, First is just be attentive. I'm going to invite you just to be attentive. 
okay, for three minutes. Just God is in this place and I was not aware of it. I want you to be attentive that God's here. God's in your life right now, what's going on? Be still, sit still, just relax. Get comfortable. Sit straight and comfortable, just get yourself, you know, you can handle three minutes. Take a slow, deep breath just to, you know, just kind of relax yourself and just be present with your body before God. And then you just want to close your eyes. So, you know, God came to Elijah in 1 Kings in the sound of sheer silence. And in the stillness, Elijah meets God. And as Dallas Willard said, silence and solitude are the two most difficult spiritual disciplines for us in the West, Western culture. So as your mind wanders, just come back and do what I do. I say, oh, Abba, Father, you know, Abba, Father. And just let, let those distractions bring you back. So let's begin. I'm going to take just like three minutes. I'll watch the clock. And let's bow before him in stillness. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to invite the prayer teams to come forward. We're going to close. And here's how I'd like to close. There is the Lord's table up here to your left. And I invite you as a believer in Jesus Christ, as you just come and hopefully asking forgiveness, to come and eat and drink of Christ. That table's available. Uh, as we close here in the worship, people will stay and, and lead us in worship. As we close, as prayer teams to your left, the sheer mercy of God that has built a ladder or a, a stairway, or I, I like the image of a ramp from heaven to earth, in Jesus our bridge, such mercy. And if you're here this morning and you are not sure that you really have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're really a Christian yet, you're not positive, you know, so I'm not sure, I don't know, you know. He has got a ramp down from heaven to earth. So I'm going to ask, don't leave. I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus Christ and truly and cross that line, seal that envelope, and receive Christ because he is here and he's in your life and he's brought you here and you want to receive him as Lord and Savior. Come forward. He's, he's died for you, but you've got to make that personal. And he's alive, but you've got to receive it. He's not going to force himself on you. So I want you to come. Uh, and receive Christ. The altar is open for you. But then I want to invite also, you know, it says in Psalm 32, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go, but do not be like the horse or the mule that is stubborn. And so some of you here, you know what? You are stubborn as a mule. And God is in this place in your life through some even hard things going on, but you have just cut him out. And you don't want to hear it. You want to hear the good things. You don't like what he's saying, but he's coming to you. And you're sitting here saying, I know it. Okay, as we close here, I want to invite you to come really in repentance and say, oh, God, forgive me for just shutting you out. And I mean, you're, you're a Christian I'm speaking to here, but his seeds are coming to you. I want you to come as well and receive prayer. All right? All right, just close your eyes, and I'm going to dismiss us, and the worship team will stay here and pray, and we can go. But I want to pray that prayer of Patrick over us from Ireland.
I want to invite you to pray it with me. You know, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks to me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. O oh Lord, I arise today. May you go and ponder the sheer mercy of God that would come upon you like it's come upon Jacob. And may you be attentive to stop and listen all through the day in the most ordinary moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me invite you now to go to emotionallyhealthy.org, get more information about uh, how discipleship leadership matters to a church that deeply changes lives. In fact, let me invite you to download a free ebook that uh, I've written called Why Leadership Matters. And because we want to be the kind of leaders that actually transform churches, transform lives for the sake of the gospel. So you can go with us, go with me. You can go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership matters. That is emotionallyhealthy.org slash leaders matter. And in that ebook, you will find a contrast of various graphs of standard way we often do leadership that I will describe as more Jacob-like versus an emotionally healthy way uh, that I would really call a more biblical New Testament way of leading. So check that out, emotionallyhealthy.org slash leadership matters. God bless you. Have a great day.